Bible is pretty clear that if you're following Jesus, there's going to be people that are ticked off by the difference of your life, even if you're not being a jerk. That's not the point. Unoffendable isn't the reality of not being offensive. It's the idea that we recognize that our human anger doesn't lead to anything good. In fact, James 1, 19 and 20 says that. And this is the weird thing, because Christians, we think we're supposed to be angry. That if you're really, really holy, you're supposed to be really, really offended and ticked off perpetually. That's just not in the Bible. James 1, 19 and 20 talks about how we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger doesn't accomplish the righteous life that God desires. Now, you're going to get angry, I'm going to get angry. But the reality is, is that when we get our anger, we have a response, and that's to delegate it to the only person who can actually deal with it rightly and justly, and that's God. It's not you and it's not me. Every single one of us, we've got like massive damaging stories of how we've allowed our anger to lead us to say things and do things we regret. We wish we could take it back, but in the moment, man, we thought we were so right on the money with what we were doing and saying. We were just super off. And so the series has been going off of this book called Unoffendable. We still have a couple of copies of those at the guest hub if you want to pick one up on your way out. But it's from a guy named Brant Hansen. But today we're really going to be focusing in on free forgiveness. And so if you've got your Bible uh, or your Bible on your uh, device, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and following. Actually, 8 and following. Uh, and we're going to be focusing in on that. Uh, but again, this really focuses in on right off the top of the bat with the value of pre. Now, everyone in here pre's. You are all preers. You pre-do stuff all the time. You pre-register. You pre-pay. Like if you, the reason that you pre-anything is because you think that down the road, I'm going to need this. I'm going to need to be ready for this. And so I'm going to bring the pre. I'm going to make sure that I've got this, this, whether it's Netflix or Hulu or it's a concert you wanted to go to, but 2020 said, forget that. Whatever it was, you thought about it in advance and you wanted to make sure that you didn't miss out. And so you did something way over here that made provision for way over here. Before you ever had a need, you preed. And, and, and the, the reality is, is that as Christians, we are called to pre-forgiveness. In fact, the whole of this series could be boiled down to this act right here. You want to live the type of person that's not perpetually ticked? You want to live the type of person that's not perpetually anxious and angry about life? If you did this, you could summarize everything. We talked about in the past uh, couple, uh, couple weeks back the idea that as Christians, we shouldn't be shocked at people's offness. People are off. So we should be like, oh, can't believe it. Of course you can believe it. That's what humans do. But not only that, as Christians, we're not only not shocked, we actually have an action step where we take pre-forgiveness. We actually take the step of stepping into and making provision for forgiveness way in advance. Now here's the thing that what Paul does. Paul actually starts to set the table for the fact that this is something that are supposed that Christians are supposed to like flesh out in this passage. He's talking to a group of people in this uh, town called Colossae. It's about a hundred miles east of Ephesus. And so if you're reading in the book of Ephesians and it sounds familiar to Colossians, it's because he's writing to a people group in the same basic area, same basic demographic, but still super, super divided. And so he says this in verse 8 and following. He says this, talking to Christians, it's their new identity. He says, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. And he goes on from there. He's basically saying, look, you've got a new identity, and so we roll differently. But let me just tell you what I mean by pre-forgiveness. 
in order to be an unoffendable Christian, Paul compiles a list of the most, the most offensive list he could imagine. People that have got major beef with each other. People that, are, that they don't play nice with one another. And he says this. This is in the next verse. He says, but here there is neither Jew, pardon me, there is neither Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. He takes them apart and he says, look, this is a, ma- let's think about our community. We've got religious differences. We have, we have, we, d- we see things differently, but guess what? All those previous identities, you can leave them on the back burner because Jesus is here. On top of that, circumcised or uncircumcised. This was like an inner church type of debate. So he said, not only is it like massively ethnic diversity that is something that Christ actually comes in and says, nope, everyone's welcome at this table, but even the fights that you have in your own church, those things don't compare with your identity in Christ. Uh, Barbarian, Scythian, now he's getting into cultural issues. He says, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, basically all these ways that we identify one another in our community, even all that. Christ is a unifying force that gives us as Christians the ability to say, I can actually go through life not as prone to be ticked off at people because I've got this image of God reality. And for Christians, man, I got a bigger connection. But we read this and it means nothing to us. Like zero, almost, yeah, no, almost 100% of this is so archaic to us in the 21st century. It's like reading the dictionary and thinking that we're going to find something like inspiring in it. It's not going to happen. But if we do the cultural homework, we actually see what he's talking about. Let's just take this group right here, the Scythians. Um, this dude named Herodotus, uh, he was a Greek philosopher, or a historian, and he wrote, this is his uh, high school yearbook picture, uh, he wrote about the fact that this, this group of people was really messed up. So the fact that Paul includes them on his list is like, what? What do you do? This is, this is what he writes about Scythians. Someone that Paul says, yeah, they're welcome at the table. This is how you could describe them. He described them as this, they drank the blood of the first enemy killed in battle and made napkins, napkins of their scalps and drinking bowls of the, of the skulls of the slain. They had the most filthy habits and never washed with water. And so basically he's saying this, these are arrogant, bloodthirsty warlords who will kill you and then take your guts and make arts and crafts out of them. And worse, they don't even wash their hands. I mean, that Herodotus is pointing out, these people are messed up. You wouldn't want to have them in your same country, let alone be someone that's saying that they're welcome at the table. And yet Paul includes the offensive reality of these guys saying, oh yeah, we want to distance ourselves from people that we think are dangerous. We want to distance ourselves from people that we think are culturally incompatible. And Christ keeps on saying, not at this table, this person, this person. I just want to think about this list as unoffensive as this list is to us, but has crazy offensive as it was to them who if paul was writing in the 21st century who would paul put on that list today just think about it who would paul put at this list saying yeah i know you distance yourself from these people but i'm actually saying in christ all our previous identifiers and identities man they're back burner racially every race is welcome at this table you know culture even within christianity we divide up man there's so many denominations Sometimes people, one of the key things that causes people to have like a jaded perspective towards the church is because Christians divide all the time. What if he's like, yep, Anglicans, Baptists, Methodists, non-denominational, boom, 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 all these people are coming together. And then when you get down here, like just the people that are, like we're going to bring to this same table these loud and proud rednecks and Antifa, and we're sitting at the same table. Why? Because this Jesus is that phenomenally unifying. That any previous identifier that was the most important thing 
that your movement, your group, your tribe, whatever, didn't match what Jesus did when he brings people together. This is all the foundation of who you are in Jesus. And that, that is crazy, crazy offensive. Your primary identity being found in Christ equips you to have open arms to the craziest bunch of mismatched people out there. Christ unifies. These people are hard to forgive because they're hard to relate to. You have no problem forgiving people that you love and you can relate to. I get this person. Like, we're, we're like kin. But the people that are disconnected or diverse from you sometimes are the hardest people to love and the hardest people to give grace to. And Paul is saying your identity does something significant. When we get to the reality of pre-forgiveness, we are recognizing that we can avoid being offended by choosing in advance, pre, making provision to forgive someone far before you ever have a need to do so. Forgiving someone, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife, your kid, your parent, your super drunk uncle that you're going to see at Thanksgiving. These people, you make provision in advance to forgive them. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like putting on clothing, and it's kind of like a bank account, and it's kind of like geocaching. Those are the three things I want you to remember today. It's kind of like, like putting on clothing. It's kind of like a bank account, and it's kind of like geocaching. So first off, it's with the, the clothing part, and this comes right from Paul. Paul talks about the fact that we, need to, we make a decision in advance to wear clothes. Most of you, all of you, all of you in here decided in advance to wear clothing to church. And I just, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. At home, that may not be the case, and that's totally okay. But in here, you all made the decision. To, and at home, you might have said, I, I am like, I'm wearing what I'm wearing, and that's cool. But in here, you actually made the decision. Now, everybody makes decisions about what they wear, right? Like, if you're a hardcore Bears fan, what will you not wear? Why? Because you you, you, that's not your group. You don't want to be identified by them. How many of you uh, go to a workplace where you have to wear a uniform? Okay, all right. Okay, so before you go there, you know in advance, I'm going to make sure that this is clean, maybe somewhat ironed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have this uniform ready to go for work. How many of you go work in a place that has a dress code? Okay, all right. So before, you're not the type of person, most of you, some of you aren't, but some of, most of us aren't the type of person like, this is the dress code, but I'm going to wear this because I'm crazy. Most of us have to think in advance, this is what I'm going to wear because this is what, this is my expectation. This is my uniform. This is my dress code. And regardless of whether you show up and you have a dress code for where you go or a uniform for where you go, every single person here makes decisions about the way that you dress because you are Midwesterners. And what factors into how you're going to dress before you leave the house? The weather, for most of us. The weather. Okay, now, growing up in Southern California, I didn't have that. I did not have the weather as a factor. In fact, it was one of those weird things where I didn't even own a coat before I came to Chicago area. Um, I barely had a jacket, and I only had a jacket because every once in a while, um, it looked nice to have a jacket, but you never needed it. But then I came to Chicago and went for college. When I came to all of a sudden, I felt something I never felt before. The evil, bitter, okay, you're wa- and I had to buy a coat because I didn't know a coat, so I've got a coat, and now I'm walking down Michigan Avenue, and the wind hit, and I remember feeling like all along the line of my, my zipper, the zipper on, your, on the coat, it was like, it was, have you ever experienced this? It goes right through, and it's like, it was like needles all the way down. You know what I'm talking about? It was awful, because I never had felt a cold like that in my life. It was like weird. It was really, really bad. Um, I took a selfie my first week of um, school. This was it. It was so bad. Terrible time. Now, the, the thing about it is this, is that I recognized to survive 
in Chicagoland, I had to buy a coat. I had to go find boots. I didn't own boots up until that point. I, I had a pair of cowboy boots when I was like in second grade because I watched Bonanza, but that was it. Like I didn't have boots and coats, none of that. And so like it was freaky, freaky bad cold. And that's just the way. Now some of you, now I've, I've noticed this, um, every generation looks at the next generation like they're a bunch of morons. And if you feel judged by old people, just wait. You're going to be one of those judgy old people about the next generation. It just happens. Now, when, I'm, when I was dropping off kids for high school or junior high, and I'm driving through Manuka, I would see in January junior hires and high schoolers wearing something to school. That boggled my mind that they were doing this in January and February. What were they wearing? Shorts and hoodies or some, yeah, some of the real T-shirts. Now, when I'm driving by, I'm like going, you, ch you chose you chose that because you in your head you're like I'm not gonna wear a coat like back in the day like kids in my high school like they wore starter jackets even though it was 90 degrees but you you it's like 20 below and you're wearing like a hoodie because you in your mind you said that I'm making that decision now that's the reality though you decided not to wear a coat you made that decision Paul says that we do the same thing with with the reality we have in Jesus he says this he says therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Your, your identity is in Jesus. So now that your identity is in Jesus, clothe yourself. This is an advantage. Now that this is real for you, every decision after this is making the reality that I used, to, I used to have something that I was identified by. But I'm taking off that old self and I'm putting on something new. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You want to know one of the funniest things is when um, one time I wore a red shirt in Target, bad move. Because everyone thinks what? That's right, because they're, they're conditioned to go, you must work at McDonald's, or no, McDonald's. <laughs> you must work at Target. When I first went to Moody, I would wear, I would get like McDonald's uh, uniforms or like I had a 7-Eleven uniform. I didn't, never worked at these places, but I got them at the Goodwill. I would, I love it when like it had someone else's name on it, like I got Jose over here or Jesus, that was awesome. And I would like just walk in and it was so great because people like they would think, do you work at 7-Eleven? No, I don't, but I'm wearing it anyway. When people see you wearing something, they automatically identify you as something. And Paul is saying that's so true of your faith. When people see you, what is the clothing of your attitude communicating? Is it communicating compassion? Like, do people flag you right away like, that guy's got to be a Christian. That person's got to be a follower of Jesus because look how compassionate they are. Look how kind they are. Look at, look at their humility. Look how gentle they are. Look how patient they are with people. It's like, it's almost as if they put on clothing in advance knowing that they were going to need to be ready for today. This was a crazy stressful day. This was a crazy stressful year. And yet I'm watching this person as they're going through with like a different set of clothing that they had to make a decision about in advance. You know why? Because if they had waited to that moment, they would not have been ready for it. It's kind of like putting on clothing. But it's also kind of like a bank account. Um, and this is important. Um, when you make provision in advance, it's like a savings account, not, not like a credit card. A credit card, you could spend tons of money and that's not yours. But a bank account, you have to actually like think about putting money into that bank account in advance. So pre-forgiveness is kind of like a bank account. A bank account in advance where you're saying, I don't know when I'm going to need to withdraw this, but I'm going to put in forgiveness for my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my employer, the people that are, are my siblings. If you're, a, if you're a high schooler or a junior high, I need to make a provision. I need a bank account to forgive my mom or my dad. 
because I'm going to need it at some point. I need to forgive my kids, whatever. I'm banking. I'm banking, basically setting up a bank account in advance for one day when I'm going to need it when they fail me because they're going to because they're, they're humans. And I make provision in advance. And you've got that bank account. If you're a Christian, you have this bank account. You have this bank account that you can take withdrawals from. And this is the best part about it. Paul puts it this way. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive how? As the Lord forgave you. This is massively important. Because I think that the context of what Paul is saying here is saying, look, if you got any issue with people, let's just be honest. God had a bigger issue with you. And he forgave you. So with that same momentum, find the people that even you're like, ah, oh, I'm not going to forgive that person, or they don't deserve my forgiveness, or whatever. Just recognize, you didn't deserve forgiveness either, but Jesus gave it to you. And so, it, so I think what Paul's saying is that, but I think it's even more powerful than that, than just that context of this. Because Paul says in other passages, you know when God forgave you? It says that when you were yet sinners, when you were still an enemy to God, when you were dead to him, he made a provision for your forgiveness. Long before you could ask for forgiveness. Long before you made your, your first rebellion against God. He made the provision to forgive you. His forgiveness is premeditated. It's in advance. So when you think about this bank account, because one of the things that's, that's frustrating for me is like if I'm thinking that I've got this bank account of forgiveness and someone fails me well i got to go back to this and jesus said crazy stuff because people wanted to know how many times do i have to go back to that bank account and keep accessing forgiveness for people and jesus said keep going and keep going it's endless to which any human being says that's i can't do that i can't keep forgiving i can't i don't have enough forgiveness in me my bank account is only so much i can only put in so much forgiveness to which we as christians recognize the best thing in the whole world is this we have a fully funded bank account we have a fully funded bank account because the fact is is that that not only is something we make a decision in advance to bank forgiveness but when we run dry we're going we're not drawing upon a bank account that we have filled on our own power our own ability our own morality or how great we are as a human being we're actually drawing upon the fact that jesus first forgave us and when he first forgave us he keeps on this is a bank account and you have access to withdraw from it but it's endless because he's the one who keeps on funding it. He keeps on putting in just enough for you. Not more than you need, just enough for you. And every time you need to forgive and you're like, I just don't have anything left, you just go right back to that bank account which is fully funded by him, not by you. Forgive as the Lord first forgave you. Your bank account of pre-forgiveness is fully funded and it'll never run dry. If you access your account from Christ, that he keeps on funding, it, you will find that it is endless. It is an endless account. And that's, that's where it gets even better than that. Because we're not just coldly handing out forgiveness because, like, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do because Jesus did this for me. We're actually, it's kind of like geocaching. Um, I don't know if you've ever geocached. Um, I totally forgot to explain this to the first service, and there's some people that just don't know. How, how many have actually gone geocaching? Okay. Not everyone, but, but a lot of us. If you've never gone geocaching, basically, you're, you have, uh, like, a, on, your, on your phone, you got a, a set of coordinates, and you follow your GPS to find something that's hidden, and then you're you able to unearth it and sign something or put something in. It's, it's super nerdy, but it's fun. Um, there's this guy named 
uh, Bob Goff. And Bob Goff, uh, he, he writes all these Christian books, and, and he talked about how um, when his daughter, his wife was in labor. When his wife was in labor uh, with his daughter, Lindsay, um, he decided something. He, they knew they were having a daughter. They knew what her name was. Their name was going to be Lindsay. And he took out a piece of paper, and he scribbled something down, and, he put, and then later he put it in a pickle jar, an empty pickle jar, and put the lid on, and he went and buried it. And what, the, what he wrote on this, on this this little piece of paper was this, Lindsay, I love you, and I forgive you for wrecking my car. Now, Lindsay hasn't been born yet. The wife is still pushing, but he writes this, scribbles it down, and later on he puts it in a pickle jar, and, and he buries it. Fast forward 17, 18 years. Lindsay wrecks Bob's car. And it's weird that he knew that. <laughs> But she goes to her dad, and she's apologizing, and he doesn't say anything to her. He just gives her, he goes and he finds this file with a set of coordinates, and he gives it to her with a shovel. He says, go dig this up. And 17, 18-year-old Lindsay goes to this weird field that she followed following the coordinates and digs up this pickle jar and opens up the lid and pulls out a note that's in her dad's handwriting that says, Lindsay, I love you and I forgive you for wrecking the car. She goes back to her dad just in tears. She says, Dad, you forgave me before I was even born. If you're a Christian, that's your story. Why do you forgive? Because you're a good person? You forgive because Christ first forgave you, and he did it in advance. He did it before you ever knew you had a need for it. The truth is, is that we can actually geocache forgiveness all the time because we're Christians. That means forgiving in advance. Some of you have things that you need to forgive right now. We talked about that already as a church. But for the rest of us, man, what if we set up a provision and we start building up the reality that we can put on a new kind of kindness and gentleness, that we could actually access a bank account that's been afforded to us by Jesus himself, that we could geocache forgiveness in advance, so that when we absolutely are presented with the need to forgive, we're not going to be in a situation where we're going to question, should I even forgive them? Do I have it in me? Because more often than not, you'll talk yourself out of that, but you'll be able to in that moment say, it's already forgiven. I already made provision to forgive this person. Now, if you're not a Christian, best you can hope for is to try to emulate the best model. And honestly, even if you're not a Christian, doing this type of stuff will lead to a happier life. But if you're trying to bank off of accessing that energy on your own self, you will fail and you will fall. And you also have a misguided, incomplete perspective of what ultimate forgiveness is. I think that a lot of Christians, and, and you probably have seen this if you're not a Christian, a lot of Christians can sometimes be hard-hearted and lack forgiveness. I think that's because they have forgotten how much they have been forgiven from. And if you are someone that needs forgiveness, if you're not a Christian, you wouldn't identify that way. Today, you could actually ask Jesus to forgive your sins. You could just say, Jesus, you made provision on the cross even before I was born to forgive everything and to give me a fresh start to follow you now. And I want to follow you from this day forward. There's no magic, theory, you know, magic, Harry Potter potion or anything to say, it's, it's you just coming to the grips with the fact that you're saying, I am sorry for what I've done and I want to follow you today. Thank you for making provision. We get a chance to be the type of people that step into 
forgiveness and then be the type of people that are expressing pre-forgiveness. Long before Thanksgiving, you could actually make this decision. Long before the first political conversation comes up around the table, you have already pre-forgiven something that's going to trigger you and rub you the wrong way. Long before the first time you reopen Facebook today and then that person posts that you should have muted a long time ago, but you didn't, but now you're ticked off now. Long before you open up Twitter and just get enraged by what you read, you can have already had provision because you chose to wear the clothing of your identity in Christ and access a bank account that has no end and geocache forgiveness to people that will need to hear it and feel that from you. We could do that in his name. Amen? One of the things that we wanted to do, we loved the story of Bob Goff so much that we, we didn't want a single person to forget it. I love that, that whole concept of the fact that you're already forgiven. And as Christians, we have that picture in Jesus. You are already forgiven. That's the energy for your ability to forgive in advance. And so on your way out, um, we've got these jars um, that are simply jars that are way smaller than a pickle jar. But they have inside just written this, you are already forgiven. You are already forgiven. If you're a Christian, may this be in your car, on your bookshelf, somewhere where you're going to see it and remind you that your forgiveness doesn't come from your ability to want to forgive or their ability to deserve it. This comes from the fact that you've already been forgiven by Jesus and to forgive as Christ already forgave you. Colossians 3.13 is the reference on there. Every single person here, I want to encourage you to take one of these home. Look at it. Observe it. Be inspired by it. I mean, if you want to go and like geocache it, ge you know, bury it for someone else, great. Write your own note. That's awesome too. But the whole point of this is that you both remember your forgiven state and the call that God gives us to forgive others. I'm going to pray for us right now, and then Katie's going to come out and close out the service. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for the fact that you have given us the means to be forgiven through the cross. Lord, what you accomplished on the cross is so significant that it did more than just establish a future reality, our future state. It did more than just give us identity. Lord, it called us into a movement and a mission that takes place in the here and the now. Lord, I pray that you help us be a people that are going to decide today to pre-forgive the people that are going to run across our paths. Lord, I pray that we make provision in advance for people that we don't even know yet that will fail us and will need to be forgiven. And God, when we see the effect of that take place, we will give you the thanks and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.